be in the book of uh, Revelation. Today we come to uh, chapter 4. No, I don't think I'll use the board. I handed notes out, right? Folks got notes? All right, very good. <laughs> and I just entitled it Revelation chapter 4. This will be part 1 because we're not going to get much further than one and a half verses. The rapture. Where do you get the concept of the rapture? Well, actually, from the Bible, if you do a word study. So I want to do a word study with you and see how they very carefully, the Lord very carefully picks his words out. And if you're looking for certain things in context, like the rapture or the resurrection, you might not get them. They're parts of uh, God told the prophet Isaiah, whom shall I teach doctrine? To whom shall I teach understanding? Them that are weaned from the milk. You can't be a baby Christian. And not only that, then I'm going to use here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. The fingerprints of God's writing this book, it's, it's written that way. Uh, there are things that connect over from one book to another book. And like Tinker Toys, they put together and they put this big uh, portrait and picture together. And it, it's spiritual, but God is a spirit. He said, Jesus said, my words are spirit. And so it requires um, time. Uh, the Apostle Paul told the young church at Corinth, he said, right now you're still like babies. You're like carnal. I can't speak to you as spiritual. And it takes a while to learn these things. And um, God reveals them to his servants, the prophets, who walk with him and agree with him. And part of the agreeing with him in English is you agree with his book. And if you don't agree with his book, and I listen to, not anymore, not anymore, but I've listened to prophecy mongers and prophecy watchers and prophecy teachers with NIVs and other Bibles and Hebrew and Greek, which they don't know themselves, and they're, they're confused. God is not going to reveal those truths to them. You've you got to be spiritual and walking with the Lord. Say, I don't care to know. You don't have to know. Honestly, the truth is all you need to know is Jesus is the Christ, gets saved. He'll take care of the rest, no matter how confused you are. But unfortunately for someone like me who enjoys reading this book, enjoys thinking about this book, my wife says, she watching me at dinner, you're thinking about the book now, yeah? And I'm, I'm just constantly trying to put these things together. And when I was a little boy, five, six, and seven, I played with Tinker Toys, and, and I put things together, and my mom would, take these pictures and call my dad at work somebody's down there with him helping him because and I just that was just my mind so I enjoy it so I'm going to show you kind of what I was able to find if you agree amen if you don't you're still my brother and sister I love you don't worry about it the Lord's got it well in hand Revelation 4 verse 1 after this I looked I would be the apostle John the one we saw in chapter 1 and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard as was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And next week we're going to study the throne. It's the key word of the chapter. It's found 12 times in the chapter. But first I wanted to show you with a word study uh, the rapture. Now, the Lord is very careful in picking his words. Uh, 
he uses the words after this. And there was a big conference that went on back in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 15 when men got all together, the apostles, the elders came together to consider the matter of salvation. And of course, they did agree on the greatness of the simplicity of salvation. Uh, verse 11, uh, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. And Peter was just saying, whether it's we Jews or them Gentiles, salvation is the same. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're all getting together there, and they're considering the teachings that they had. We've got James, we've got Peter, we've got John, we've got Paul, we've got any of the apostles that are still alive at that time. Uh, and they're considering these things, verse 13. And uh, after they had held their peace, James, that's the half-brother of the Lord, the one that wrote the book James in the back of your Bible, um, answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken to me. Simeon, that would be Peter, uh, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets. And now James being a Jew and the prophets at that time were the prophets that wrote the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, as it is written, after this, and he's quoting Zechariah and Amos, I will return, that's God will return, and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Notice the words after this. Okay, so God's very carefully setting a program up here that James is declaring to them, saying God has a plan not just for our immediate salvation, but the restoration of all things. God's created. We made a mess of it by our sin. Jesus Christ came in to save the creation and then wants to do a work of recreation and move forward. And what he's showing you here, verse 14, Simeon, Peter, hath declared how God at the first, and he's showing right now very quickly, God is visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's the church. That's what he's doing. When we were in the book of Revelation, we were in chapter 4, verse 1. Did we see chapters 2 and 3? It was all about the church. It was the letters to the seven churches. Then he says, after this. What's after this? Uh, well, the prophets say, after this, I'll return and build the tabernacle of David. And so in Revelation 4.1, after the church age, we're going to be looking into the future as to how God is going to prepare to rebuild the tabernacle of David. See, Jesus is going to come back, as we've seen over and over in our studies, mostly the prophecies in the Old Testament that the government would be on Jesus' shoulder, that he would sit on the throne of David, that he would rule from Jerusalem, that the whole world, the capital of the whole world is going to be Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. And the book of Revelation is how he's going to do it through the seals and the trumpets and the vials, and then he's going to come back in the 19th and 20th chapter and set up his throne. And Right there, after this, after the church is done, I'm going to return and build again the tabernacle of David. And so he's laying out the pattern right there for you, and the words are after this, very carefully chosen. 
he picks his words very carefully back to where we are in the fourth chapter another very careful time word he has after this at the beginning of verse one he has hereafter i will show thee the things at the end of the sentence which must be hereafter and now he uses hereafter hereafter is a time word and and the time is what it's in a future state in the context it means Hereafter, it means after the church age of chapters 2 and 3. As a matter of fact, if you look at the spiritual, now I know Revelation is a prophetical book, but in terms of the doctrine and the prophecy, there are still spiritual pictures that you will see. The Lord works in three dimensions. And so one of the dimensions is the spiritual one. Another one is the prophetical one. Another one is the historical one. And God's able to move his book and show tv producers do that they use three cameras when they do a, a, a show they'll have three cameras well god uses three cameras the prophetical for the future the practical and the spiritual for now and the historical god moves through time too and his book does this that's why you can't limit the bible to just one interpretation god has three do you mean the spiritual do you mean the historical do you mean the prophetical? Which do you mean? And, and here, if remember in Revelation chapter 1, when John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, as I hope you are today, today's a Lord's Day, I hope you're in the Spirit, hope you're in the right Spirit, I hope you came here with the Spirit of wanting to hear from God, that's the right Spirit. Well, that's how John was, and guess what he heard from God? And Jesus showed up and met him on the Isle Patmos. Now watch what happened to him. Historically, we know what happened. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. By the way, if he walked in here right now, we'd all fall at his feet as dead. Because even though we're saved, we're still sinners. And when holiness walks down this aisle, sinners are going to be on their face. The, the worshipers of the Lord fall on their face. The enemies of the Lord fall backwards. We ain't the enemies. We don't fall backwards. The Holy Spirit puts God's people on their face. If, if a, something called the Holy Spirit's knocking you backwards, it ain't the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit. Read your Bible. And so he fell right down. Now, what did Jesus do? He put his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. Okay, so that's historically. What about spiritually? Here's a picture. It's a picture of a soul meeting Jesus, frightened in terror, but believing who he is, and Jesus resurrects that soul. That's justification, chapter 1, verse 17. Remember we studied it today? See the board? Anybody pay attention in Sunday school? That's justification. Chapter 1, verse 17, spiritual picture. Chapters 2 and 3, the church age, that's sanctification. Chapter 4, verse 1, that's glorification. That's the rapture. You see, you see the portraits there? Are, are you seeing them? Anyone here this morning? Okay, all right. So I wanted to show that to you. I don't see it in the context. No, you're going to see it by looking, searching the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures, Jesus said. Be, be noble like the Bereans and search the Scriptures. So, so one of the things is we saw after this, we saw it compared to the great conference in Jerusalem by all the apostles. Now we see the time word hereafter. Go back to chapter 1 and watch what Jesus did. Jesus wanted to give them the key to the book. 
There are keys to understanding how to rightly divide a particular book. Usually the books of the Bible will divide in three portions, like I showed you with Romans, chapters 1 through 8, the doctrine of Christ, chapters 9, 10, and 11, the dispensation of Israel, chapters 12 through 16, the duty of a Christian. God divides in three. Now watch Jesus right here. He's going to divide this book in three portions. Chapter 1, verse 19, he says to John, write the things which thou hast seen. That's past. So John, write in chapter 1 how I came and I met you. And the things which are, that's the present, that's the church age, chapter 2 and 3. And the things which shall be, key word, time word, hereafter. Chapter 4, verse 1. Go again. After this I looked, a door was open in heaven. The first voice uh, called and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. From this point forward in the book of Revelation, we're, we're in future time. We're looking from the time of the rapture and afterwards. Translation, it hasn't happened yet, folks. We're still in the church age of chapters 2 and 3. We're in the last chapter of 3, and in the last portion of chapter 3, we're Laodicean Christians. Sorry, I wish we were Philadelphian Christians. We're Laodicean Christians, at least in terms of the time we were born into. We can try and be a Philadelphian in the Laodicean age, and we can stand for the name of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, which in English is only one. It's the Holy King James Bible. Not like first put in my hand a, a non-inspired version, an NIV. Okay, I'm so glad God showed me the right Bible so I could stand and I could wave that book on the streets and go, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. And I never did that with an NIV. And I couldn't because it doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. But back to where we are with the time word, he chose the word, hereafter in the last word of the verse he chose the first two words after this to show us folks this is future the church age is over now God's going to get ready to do his work with the nation Israel just like he promised them in the Old Testament he, he said you know I'm going to give the baton to the Gentiles for the church age when the church age is over I'm coming back to restore my nation Israel now, what did he see? Well, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The door. Who is the door? By the way, one other place I did find the word hereafter. Uh, it was in the Gospel of John. Interestingly, the same writer, John, is guided by God as to carefully choose his words. And in the uh, first chapter of John the Apostle when Jesus goes to meet Nathaniel and to reveal himself to Nathaniel and um, Nathaniel finally uh, says in verse 49 wow Rabbi thou art the son of God thou art the king of Israel and so he's made the confession of faith and when you make that confession of faith it's like you're reaching your hand out to shake God's hand and going I agree with you See, well, God is looking for some people to agree with him. Not just believe in him, but to believe in what he said and agree with it and go, I, I, I trust you at your word, Lord. See, see, when I was a Catholic, I didn't trust God at his word. When I was an agnostic doctor at the hospital, I didn't trust God at his word. 
None of my friends in medical school trusted God at his word. Okay. It wasn't until I met Jesus that I said, you know what? You wrote it, God. I believe it. This isn't like my medical textbook, which changes every few years with a new edition. This is fixed forever in heaven. I agree. And, and he meets and he makes a confession in verse 49. And then Jesus says, now that you believe this, I'm going to reveal more to you. Jesus said, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou. Now that you believe, thou shalt see greater things than these. Verse 51, he said to him, verily, 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 I say unto you, hereafter, ye shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Do you remember in chapters 2 and 3, every time he spoke to a pastor of the church, he called him an angel? Speak to the angel at Ephesus. Speak to the angel at Laodicea. Speak to the angel at Philadelphia. He kept using the word angel instead of pastor. Because one day that pastor is going to get an angelic body and he's going to ascend the ladder of the Son of Man right up to heaven, Revelation 4.1. Hereafter. See, hereafter. You see how the words are connecting? It's a word study we're doing. We're letting God's word speak. I saw a door. Well, who's the door? John chapter 10, verse 9. I mean, the great thing about the gospel of John, the reason God let John write that gospel is that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and believing have life in his name. If you're trying to witness to someone, what's the book you want to give them? The gospel of John. That's how I met Jesus in a Bible study in a home on the gospel of John. How can you deny when you see the glory of Jesus Christ? You've got a big choice to make. Either I'm going to disbelieve this guy or I'm going to fall down on my knees and recognize truly this is the Son of God. And so John's written that way. And in that book, seven times Jesus will say, I am. Because his father told Moses, I am. I am what? Well, John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If any man enters in by me, he'll be saved. And I saw a door open in heaven. Who's that door? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven. He said in the 14th chapter, go to John 14. In the upper room at the Last Supper with his disciples. And they were troubled that night. By the way, your heart may be troubled too. Not that you're at the Last Supper, but you see the stuff going on in the world and you go, what? My heart's troubled. And so Jesus knew their heart was troubled for different reasons, but we have heart trouble down here. And he said in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. That's good. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know. And the way you know, and Thomas said, Lord, we, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? By the way, for a Jew, I understand that. The hope of the Jew was not going to heaven. If you read your Old Testament carefully, the hope of the Jew was to be resurrected and live on planet Earth with the Messiah for a thousand years. Their hope was an earthly hope. They were an earthly people with an earthly nation and an earthly kingdom, and they had earthly hopes. We're a spiritual people. And this is the first time he's introducing to them, there's a place in heaven for you. And you go, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. We, we, 
I read 39 books in the Old Okay, I read 24 scrolls in the Old Testament. That's what they had before the 24 scrolls were turned into 39 books. I didn't see this back there. And then Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man cometh to the Father who Thomas you know lives in heaven but by me. I'm the door and behold the door was opened in heaven. And so he's showing after the church age the ladder, Jacob's ladder is set up so the angels can ascend up and they're being called up there. Now back to where we are, we'll do continue the word study. I'm letting the words speak. After this, we saw, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven, not in Jerusalem, not at the tabernacle, not at the temple, not at the church, in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, and it was talking with me, which said, come up hither. And the first voice. Now, who is the first voice? Well, it's the one that he heard when he was in the Lord's day, back in chapter 1. You know, remember John is writing to us an actual true event, not some myth, not some cunningly devised fable, but the words of God directed by the Spirit of the living God to put them in the book of God. Verse 9, I, John, who am also uh, your brother and a companion in tribulation. You go through hard times. I go through hard times. I'm your companion in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Right now we've been translated in his kingdom by our salvation. Uh, I was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Sunday morning I was in the uh, uh, neighborhood of Amherst for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I wanted to hear something. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and back John I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet and he's using an English lesson the English lesson similes use like or as a, a simile or a similitude similitude is a noun means something that's like another something that resembles another Something that can be compared one to another. Say, that's not fair. I don't like that. Okay, go back to an Old Testament book right after Daniel, Hosea chapter 12. In your Old Testament, after the major prophets of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, the first minor prophet is Hosea. And Hosea was a faithful servant of the Lord. And here's what the Lord tells Hosea in chapter 12. Verse 10, in verse 9, he's saying, I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. At first, he's identifying who he is. And in verse 10, I, that would be the Lord thy God, have also spoken by the prophets. And God used prophets. And what did he do? He multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of of the prophets and and he would often do things where he would say something is like another and he wanted to see, he wanted us to learn to see things spiritually he wanted us to have 
parabolic vision where we could see parables and similitudes are how he as he spoke and and he said the first voice was like as a trumpet i didn't put this in your notes but um back in the book of uh first corinthians chapter of 14 you can pencil this in in your notes In this particular chapter, Paul is trying to teach the church at Corinth that the most important thing they can do is not speak in tongues, but verse 3, prophesy. Verse 3, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now to prophesy is to take the words of the prophets and to speak them. That's what we're doing today. I'm reading you from the prophet Paul. I read from you from the prophet Hosea before. I'll take you to different portions of the Bible and read you what the prophets wrote as they were directed by God. Uh, edification, exhortation, and comfort. That speaks to the three parts of your inner being. Edifying is your mind. It builds up your mind in truth. Exhortation is your will. It gets you to do something. Comfort is for your heart. And those inner parts all need to be touched and the Word of God touches all three parts on the inside. It's the perfect medicine. It's the perfect balm of Gilead. Uh, verse 4, He that speaks in an unknown tongue may edify himself, but he that prophesieth, using the words of the Bible, edifies the whole church. I would rather that you... I, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. Why? For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues. You need Bible. You don't need tongues. And, and, and so he's saying we need the tongues. Now what he's saying here is um, verse 12, uh, 8. If a trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And in the Old Testament they were told to make uh, ram's horns like trumpets and to blow them to get the people ready for a battle or to blow them to get the people ready for an assembly and and the trumpet had different things it would blow and it wasn't uncertain it had a certain way it did at every time and the people knew exactly what it meant so if a trumpet gives an uncertain sound who shall prepare himself to the battle verse 9 so likewise except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood not some babbling language that nobody understands it's got to be something that they can sit and go i get that that's in a lane i'm a common man i can understand that those are plain words and so the trumpet represents someone speaking with the voice back to where we are in revelation i heard the first voice as a trumpet it's god is calling his children with a clear sound to come up hither but he's using his voice he's not blowing a trumpet Okay, so I'm not sure I believe you. Go Revelation, again, chapter 1, verse 10. I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet, but it was a voice. Verse 11, it, it wasn't blowing musical notes, okay, like Doc Severinsen. It said, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm not Louis Armstrong. I'm, I'm speaking words for you to understand. And so this is what he's saying to us. He's using the resemblance to get us to understand that voice is calling us up. Now, here is a great chapter that the Apostle Paul go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
This is where we get the concept of the rapture. Now, someone will say to me, but Brother Mike, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And I'll say you are correct. And I'm gonna, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4, and you might put a marker there, and then we're going to go back to John 11, and I'm going to show you something the Lord did. And again, Lord, I love you. I wish you would write this easier for them. Uh, I really wish you would just write it like a text but he doesn't he really does make you you have to knock and ask and seek and pray and it takes time but I'll show you some of his fingerprints and some of his footprints and you'll see this but in first Thessalonians 4 when Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica they were excited by the resurrection of Jesus Christ they were excited by the salvation of Jesus Christ. They were excited, like I have on the board there, that they've been justified, that they're being sanctified, and, and they're excited that Jesus is going to come back. They really excite, expected, I think, Jesus to come quickly. But Jesus and the Father had a 2,000-year plan that they were filling out and uh, you'd have to go back to Hosea chapter 6 He kind of told the prophet Hosea I'm going to wait two days before I come back and a day is a thousand years and it's two thousand years and a lot of these believers at Thessalonica were Gentiles they couldn't read Hosea it's in Hebrew they didn't have Bibles like you do there was no printing press the only thing they got was some good news about a resurrected Savior and their heart responded to that good news Amen and amen. That's all you need. They didn't understand this stuff. And so now some of the Christians are dying and they're worried. Well, wait a second. I thought the Lord's coming back. When he comes back, Aunt Polly is dead. What good is this going to be? And so Paul has to explain to them in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Now here, here's the truth. I remember when I first got saved, I was ignorant about everything. I remember the first time somebody, you know, said, we're going to turn to the epistle of the Ephesians. I said to the guy next to me, what's an epistle? He said, I don't know. I think it's the wife of an apostle. I said, okay. I said, I was ignorant about all kinds of things. And that's okay. You know, because we're going to grow in grace and knowledge. It takes time. Uh, God likens men to trees. Trees grow slowly. Weeds grow fast. We're not weeds. Quick growth is not good. Slow growth. And so Paul says, I've got to introduce a new concept to them. They're not aware of this, but God's shown it to me. I don't want my brethren to be ignorant of verse 13 concerning them which are asleep. And when we get back to John 11, we'll see that Jesus uses the word sleep for when one of his children closes their eyes in what we would call death. But Jesus says, they're, they're not dead. They're just sleeping. And, and I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. Uh, you can sorrow, but sorrow not as other people who have no hope. I don't want it to be like a Catholic funeral with wailing and weeping people jumping on top of the cast. I grew up Catholic. I saw that histrionics there. And that's what happens. They have no hope. Catholics have no hope. There's no hope in the Pope. There, there's no hope in, in the sacraments. There's no hope in that church. 
the blessed hope is Jesus Christ, and they don't have him. I didn't have him for 39 years. And so I don't want you to, to be like those people. Verse 14, why? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And if we believe that, even so, them which also sleep in Jesus, when they close their eyes in death, they had been believing in Christ. They weren't believing in a church. They weren't believing in their baptism. They weren't believing in their money. They weren't believing in uh, maybe a scientific uh, breakthrough where they could be frozen like a popsicle and then come back to life one day. Uh, that's, that's just, those are the ways of death. Ways which may seem right to a man, but the end thereof is death. No, they were trusting in Jesus. And if they sleep in Jesus, God's going to bring those with him. And verse 15, and this we say to you by the word of the Lord. There's nothing else we can trust. There's no other eternal words but God's word. And here's what we know. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Here's maybe the thought that was going through their mind. Okay, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a resurrection. He spoke about it in John chapter 5 called the resurrection of life. But he can't resurrect them who are dead if we're still alive. We're going to prevent him from doing his work at the resurrection. How can he possibly do it if we're still walking around? He's got to wait till we die. And if we die, then our kids are alive and walking around. This is this endless cycle. It's never going to happen. He says, no, you don't understand it. Living Christians are not going to prevent Christ from doing his work. He's going to do something new here. It's not just a general resurrection. Watch what he's going to do. Verse 16, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Now, that voice is as a, as a trumpet. The trump of God is his voice shouting. That's what it's talking about. How do I know that? I, well, I had two other verses that showed me it's a similitude. I wish he put the similitude here. Again, I'm not... Lord, I don't like the way you write. Leaves too many rooms for arguments. I wish you wouldn't do this, but I'm telling you, it's a similitude from the other two, and someday you can ask him about it. If Lord had to rewrite every word every time, this book would be a lot thicker. And so he was able to be a tight editor and put things together and expect you to hear a little and there a little and search and know how to put implied verbs and implied similitudes together. Say, it's hard for me. Don't worry. Just get saved. He'll teach you in the millennium. Anyways, that trump is a similitude, and it's Christ himself coming down, and when he comes and he shouts, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain, after they come out of their graves, then we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Come up hither to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You're looking forward to the glorification process. You're looking forward to the rapture. Uh, we're going to read in, in the book of Revelation in chapter 6, judgment is going to start coming. In chapter 13, the Antichrist is going to show up. We're going to read all those things. We're out of here before all that. We're not looking for those chapters. We're out of here in chapter 4, verse 1. We can comfort one another. We don't get a lot of comfort reading Revelation 13. You don't get a lot of comfort in Revelation 16. No, but we're looking forward to Revelation 
Now, now just to show you, you got to keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'll show you the perfection of the English Bible. And go back to John 11. The perfection of the English King James Bible. The word of a king is pure and perfect and with power. And we say this to you uh, by the word of the Lord. That, and I'm just reading, well, we're going to look at the 11th chapter. I'll point you out in a minute, but I'm just rehashing in your mind the fourth chapter of Thessalonians. We say this to you by the word of the Lord that they which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with them. They're going to rise first. Sleep in Jesus. Now, if you remember this chapter, this is one of the chapters where Jesus is going to give another I am statement. He's going to say, Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And why he's saying that is because the girl before says in verse 24, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And she was an Old Testament Jew. She was counting on the resurrection. That's what the Jews were hoping for. And she thought of the resurrection as a day. And when that day comes, everything's taken care of. And Jesus says, no, it's not the day, it is I. I'm the resurrection. The day isn't the resurrection. If I didn't show up on that day, no one's coming up. And when I show up, that becomes the day. I'm the resurrection and the life. Search the scriptures. They testify of me, not of resurrection days, not of promises of the one that's the giver of the promises and the gifts. That's what he's trying to show her. Okay, but... At one point, verse 11, these things said he, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I uh, go that I may wake him out of sleep. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll do fine. Somebody give him a little Narcan, he'll wake him up. Howbeit Jesus said, speak of his death. They thought he was taking a rest and sleep. And so Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And again, what he's showing is what we mortals see as human death. Jesus sees, if it's a believer, it's just sleep. You need to be no more feared or frightened of death than you are of taking a nap. That's what he's trying to show his children. A lost person ought to be real frightened of death, but you should have no fear of death. It's just sleep. Now, watch the perfect punctuations and wording here in, in verse 24 when Martha said, oh, I know he's going to rise at the last day. She said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, he closed his eyes in sleep believing in me. Uh, he says, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now watch very carefully. This is some of the beauty of the English and a King James Bible. The punctuation marks were put there by God. And if you look at verse 25 and 26, 25 doesn't end with a period. It ends with a, a, a is that colon? A colon. Curious. Now keep your finger there and go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and watch this. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 16, 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I'm the resurrection and the life. Here I come. With the voice of the archangel, trump of God. Here it goes. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, colon. Then we which alive are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Do you see, when did the first people get resurrected? The dead before the colon. When did the living people go after the colon? Go back to John 11. There's the dead people living before the colon. Here's the living people after the colon that never die. He's spelling out the rapture right there in perfect harmony with what's in 1 Thessalonians 4. The voice, come up hither. Who's coming up? My mom and my dad, who right now are in a grave somewhere in Cheektowaga, they'll come up first. And right after that, I'll come up and we'll all go up because we've been called. As a matter of fact, in that same 11th chapter, what Jesus did in that same 11th chapter of John, later on, verse 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And after this, I heard a voice saying, come up hither. How loud was it? Like a trumpet, like a shout, like it says in Thessalonians. And, and the door is Jesus. Now, the curious thing is, if you want to go through that door, then we're in Revelation 4, verse 1. You want to go through the door of Revelation 4, 1, then you've got to open the door of Revelation 3, 20. When Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door to his heart, I'll come in and sup with him. And, and what he's saying is, if you'll let me live in your heart while you're here on planet Earth, I'll call you up to live with me in heaven. You open your door to me, I'll open my door to you. What a deal. You let him live in your filthy heart for a while, he gives you clean heaven for all of eternity. I'll take that deal any day. Back to where we are. I heard this first voice talking with me. You like me personally? Yeah. Martin, come forth. Miguel, come forth. Sandy, come forth. Salvation is individual. Salvation is personal. Uh, straight is the gate, just like a turnstile at a football game. One person at a time comes through, and you come through, and that call, somehow when he calls individually, all our names will hear them. I don't know how he's going to do it. Just going to divide the voice so that everybody hears their name individually. It's personal. It's individual. It's the rapture call. I heard that voice talking with me back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And again in verse 24. There's a lot of 24s. And he said, Behold, the Lord our God hath uh, showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. You know, the word um, uh, talk with, is found 24 times in the Bible. Curious. And that's in verse 24. And that, that, I just doesn't mean, you'd think about it. Day of the Lord, 24 hours. Next year's 2024, people. Anyways, 
In summary, what the first verse is showing us is that Jesus personally is going to call his bride, his church, individually. He's going to call them up, come up hither using his voice. Now, next verse. And immediately I was in the Spirit. I never paid attention, but I did a word search. The word immediately is found only in the New Testament. It's 55 times. And I thought, well, I know what the word means. And I went to a dictionary, and I had to learn that it was kind of a contronym to another word, mediate. And, and so I put it down for you. Mediate is an adjective. And mediate and mediately would be the adverb form of mediate, the adjective. It means to interpose or to intervene, to put something between two objects or events. Immediate means it's direct, instant, proximate, without the intervention of time or another. Immediately is used 24 times in the Gospels defining the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus touched him and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. What he's saying is when Jesus makes that call, there's nothing in between. There's nothing to wait for. There's nothing between Jesus' call and the rapture. That's the next thing is the rapture for Jesus. When the church age ends, after this, hereafter, immediately is the rapture. That's what he's trying to show you. The words teach it. They say, Brother Mike, you're teaching it. Yeah, but I got it from the words. So what he's saying in some is the rapture is an event that's going to be instant. It's going to be the direct word of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if he's yours. He said, I will come again. He never breaks a promise. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. There's no nays in Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He's going to come and get us at the rapture. He's not going to send a bunch of angels. He's going to personally pick up his bride in his arms. That's what the rapture is. Now, historically, back to where we are and we'll finish. He says, immediately, I was in the Spirit. Now, Historically, what John experienced was a probably what the Lord did was he allowed, he took John by the hand like he did Ezekiel. We just read Ezekiel chapter 8 where God took Ezekiel by a lock of his hair and lifted him up between earth and heaven and Ezekiel's body was lying there on the planet. And so he, he took him historically and it was a spiritual rapture so to speak because I'm all of a sudden I'm up in heaven and I'm seeing the throne and the one sitting on the throne and I'm seeing the worship around the throne and he's now when we go in the rapture we're going to physically go up but right now it's a spiritual thing that he's seeing I was in the spirit but go to first Corinthians chapter 15 it was a type it was a similitude it was a picture but Paul explains to us in first Corinthians 16 when it happens to us in the future, after the church age, hereafter, after this, it's going to be not just our spirit, it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Verse 35, some men will say, how are the dead raised? With which body do they come up? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Now he's going to talk about <clears throat> you are sowing your body. Uh, God, uh, let's see, uh, that which thou sowest, uh, thou sowest not that body which you're going to get that shall be, but you're going to sow bare grain. It may be wheat, maybe another grain. God giveth us a body, hath us pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. He's trying to teach us that, uh, let's see, um, there's one kind of flesh of men, skin. There's another flesh of beasts, fur. There's the fishes, they got scales. Birds, they got feathers. And first thing he's saying is, yes, God gave different bodies on planet Earth. There's something about the body made in his image covered with flesh. That's man. But God did give different creatures. Verse 40, there are also celestial bodies. The bodies terrestrial were verse 39, the terra, earth. But the celestial are there. The glory of a celestial is one. The glory of a terrestrial is another. They're different type of bodies, he's saying. The bodies on earth are not like the ones in heaven. That's what he's trying to teach us. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It, your body, is sown in corruption. Now, he uses terms like a farmer. See, I remember when, we, when they buried my mom, and I was there, and, you know, they had the casket, and everybody's sitting around putting some roses on it. Some words are being said. And then finally, some men took some dirt with a shovel, and then put it down and shoveled it up. Isn't that how you plant a seed? You're sowing seed. He's saying if you're, see, you're not being buried when you die in Christ, you're being sown like a seed. He's planting it in there. There's going to be a harvest. He's planting a physical seed. He's going to bring up a spiritual harvest. See, that's what he's trying to say. say um, uh, verse 46 I think it's 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. God's letting it go down one way, coming up another. I mean, you take a little seed, you plant it, and up comes a stalk of corn. It didn't look like that, did it? It looked like a little seed. And God's saying, I'm going to plant it one way. I'm going to bring it up another way. It's going to look different when I'm done. The corn is all uh, yellow and golden the spiritual body is going to be golden and yellow it's going to come up a spiritual body we're sowing it raptured saints are not going to go up in the spirit they're going to go up in a spiritual body that's what he's teaching you here he's telling you um verse 50 i'm telling you brethren the body you have now with flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god your corruptible body cannot inherit the incorruptible kingdom of god i show you a mystery We'll not all sleep. Some of us are going to be alive, but we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, like we saw there at the glorification, in a split second, uh, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound. That last trump is the last call of Jesus. See, Jesus had been calling people to his side for a long time, and now the Father says, the church is complete. It's on, call them up, and he makes the call. And it's the last call. This is it. They, they sometimes, when I was, used to work as a piano player years ago in bars, it was the last call. Okay, well, this is the last call for something more important than to get a drink. This is to get in heaven with God. And at the last call, what's going to happen, um, 
the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. There they come out of the graves. And we who are alive will be changed. This uh, corruptible body in the, the grave will put on incorruption and this mortal body will put on immortality. And, and when this corruptible puts on its incorruption and this mortal puts on immortality, then it's brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now, for those of us alive, we won't get stung by death. For those who are in the grave, the grave can't have victory over them. Christ has the victory. He's going to bring them out. Uh, uh, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You could turn someone from a body that's going to be buried to one that's going to be sown. Someone who's going to die in their sins versus one who's going to hear come up hither and change their eternity by giving them the gospel. So this is the rapture that you can see by the word study in Revelation 4.1. And after this, we're going to move forward and see the plan that God has for restoring the nation Israel. And sadly, but rightfully and judiciously bringing the sinners and the rebels on earth to their end so that his son can come back on a planet full of believers. All right. Lord, thank you. I tried. Uh, it, it's a beautiful passage, Lord. It's so exciting that after this, one day we'll hear the call come up hither and we'll be in the throne room and we can finally meet our Savior face to face and see the glory of his Father and in an incorruptible body. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.